Hi, this is the Seattle Mama Doc Podcast. I'm Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson. I'm here with Jim Mancini. Hello. Hi, Wendy. <laughs> we all work so hard to perfect how we pull off parenthood, and often we may not feel good enough. And Jim and I are here today to really help clarify and support you when you worry about your child who may or may not have an autism spectrum disorder. So, Jim Mancini is a speech-language pathologist, and he coordinates education at the Seattle Children's Autism Center. He's worked both clinically and in research positions kind of for here and also at the Kennedy Krieger Institute in Baltimore, Maryland. And he was trained back in communication disorders and scientists at the University of Washington here. And he's been at Seattle Children's helping reform how we support families on the wait list, how we support families in the community, and how we support families in clinic to both efficiently and thoroughly evaluate children who parents have concerns about how they communicate and understand the world. So thank you so much for joining. I'm happy to be here. So first and foremost, I mean, tell us a little bit about, I mean, I I think about this podcast as really helping serve families who are really worried about their child, Mm -hmm. who might have challenges with how they learn and communicate, and is concerned that their child needs a diagnosis to get what they need, and or is concerned that their child has a diagnosis that hasn't been yet met. What can you tell families who are out there who are just at baseline, just kind of worrying about their child? Well, I think that the first thing is to really trust your instincts. You know, I think that parents are the experts of their child and they know their development better than anybody. Um, I think that uh, contacting your pediatrician as soon as you have those concerns is really important. And also that uh, you don't need a diagnosis to begin services, right? So uh, I think that's one of the kind of myths or misunderstandings out in the community that uh, parents hear that, well, I can't begin helping my child unless I get a diagnosis is really not how the system works. Yeah, so very clearly, I just, you know, work with a pediatrician or a school very closely. If you're concerned that your child needs some speech support or your child needs a hearing evaluation or your child needs some behavioral support and or modification, um, you do not need a formal diagnosis to get additional support services in the birth to three program. It is covered for all children in the state. And in school age children, the schools are required to help support a child who has special needs. Absolutely. And you can always use your private insurance to seek out things like speech language therapy, occupational therapy, behavioral supports. Uh, All of those are options for families. Yeah. So that is a great reminder that if you're in what sometimes we call kind of a diagnostic odyssey, you know, when we're worried about our child and we don't have a name for what's going on that doesn't seem right. If you're in that diagnostic odyssey, you can be pretty aggressive about supporting, getting, supporting your child and getting services that they need. And of anything I can say as a pediatrician, when it comes to development in learning and speaking and hearing and understanding, one thing that we know for sure, the earlier that you intervene, the better the outcome. So if you are listening to this or you know you're listening on behalf of someone that you love or know, get under get fire under them to start working at a solution. The earlier you intervene with a child who's having a challenge, the better this child will do and the sooner they'll do better too. Exactly. So, okay, so let's talk a little bit about wait lists because okay. I just feel like autism and and children with neurodevelopmental challenges, the wait lists are really exaggeratedly long mm-hmm. everywhere. What what do we know about wait lists? Yeah, and it's so frustrating, you know, yeah. from a family's perspective and it's really frustrating from our perspective when we know all that early intervention is so important. Yeah. Uh, and families are needing to wait. Um, yeah. you know, the 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 truth of the matter is we've been an autism center for 10 years. Yep. And right when we opened, we had a, a pretty long wait list. 
Yeah. I um, know, because I put a lot of kids on it. <laughs> yeah, from clinic. Yes. So, uh, and we've done a lot of changes. We've, done, we've, we've modified how we do evaluations. Uh, we've done uh, special Saturday clinics. We have uh, a special week uh, each mm. year that we call our Blitz Week, where it's all hands on deck. Mm. Everybody stops their treatment, their classes, mm. and everybody sits Just and works does and evaluation and, for uh. a week. And that does cut our wait list down. And, and, and there's been these, these kind of creative ideas that mm. have come out of the Autism Center mm-hmm. uh, over the last couple of years. And we still have a wait list. Yeah. Uh, we have seven new referrals every day, over 50 new referrals per week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that wait list is, is hard to keep up with. Hard to keep up with, yes. So so that's pretty typical, though, correct? I mean, yeah. is, there, is there somewhere that doesn't have a wait list? I mean, is it or is this just that we don't have as much service providers to serve the need for children where there's somebody, a pediatrician or a parent, who's concerned about their development? I would say that it is something that we see nationally, mm-hmm. and uh, those providers who have expertise in making the diagnosis mm-hmm. of autism are few. Uh, yeah. We're lucky here in Seattle that we have a, a, a larger population of those providers. However, we still have a hard time keeping yeah. up. So let's talk about that. So who is it that, you know, if a family's worried that their child has autism um, or an autism spectrum disorder or a communication challenge? Who can make a diagnosis? Um, Well, in Washington State, uh, Mm -hmm. traditionally it was psychologists, uh, psychiatrists, neurologists, and developmental pediatricians. Uh, Here in our state, things have changed over the last couple of years, and Primary care providers, whether they're a pediatrician, a nurse practitioner, a family practice doctor, uh, any of them can take a, a specialized training, become a center of excellence in Washington State. That allows them to formally make the diagnosis mm-hmm. of autism, and it also allows them to formally uh, prescribe something called uh, applied behavior analysis or ABA right. therapy in our state. Right. So that's both. So a typical family practice doc or pediatrician won't likely, if you know, just for pam- families to know won't likely be confident saying, I can singularly on my own mm-hmm. uh, make a diagnosis of autism. A trained pediatrician specifically or family doc or, or um, ARNP, et cetera, like you mentioned, could then become a center of excellence and be able to do that with this extra training. Absolutely. So parents can call around and ask, right, for if they're on a big wait list, there might be other places to look where a center of excellence, at least here in Washington State. Yes. And the Department of Health has a website oh. that you can go to and That's great. Uh, be able to see, all right, well, where are the center of, centers of excellence that are close Bye. Great. Well, when we throw this podcast online on Seattle Mamadoc, we'll include that link so that you can look for that. So, okay. So when a child, you know, when a child is not developing as expected, so hallmark signs that families worry about, of course, are expressive language delays, mm-hmm. our lack of eye contact, our challenges with eating and sleep and expression, our severe tantrums or headbanging in the combination of these kinds of, of characteristics during really late infancy and early toddlerhood. Right. Um, what What is it... <clears throat> that a family should do besides calling their pediatrician once they're on the wait list? I mean, Well, I think a lot of those are areas of delay, right? And I think that sometimes we get really stuck into, like, the diagnosis. Uh And uh, I think what I'd recommend is if you recognize that my child has a delay in a certain area, there is an obstacle to their learning, whether it's in the area of communication, whether it's in the area of social Mm -hmm. development, whether it's uh, behavioral. Uh, We know that we can target those areas of development, and I think that that when we think about obstacles to learning, uh, we can sometimes put the diagnosis aside and say to yourself as a parent, wow, my child's not talking yet, so I should seek out a speech-language 
pathologist to do an evaluation, and I should look into this. Yeah, and of course, always ensuring that hearing is confirmed as well. So we do birth, you know, of course, routine screening for hearing loss on every single baby born in the state, and we do that across the country on children. But without question, if a child has an expressive speech delay, meaning not do they understand what you're saying when you point to a muffin, but are they able to say the word muffin, Mm -hmm. right? If they're not able to do that in both of those cases, um, you always want to reaffirm that child has normal hearing. Absolutely. Because that, that is certainly something that can be ruled out. So tell us exactly then what, you know, in the last decade, that what's, what has Seattle Children's learned? And just to your point, that there's been these kind of um, approaches to decrease the wait list yep. and also improve the efficiency with which young children and then even school-age children can be diagnosed with an autism spectrum disorder or not. Mm-hmm. Tell us what families should know about that and how it can help a family anywhere, but specifically here in this area, too. Yeah. Well, there's different models of evaluation. Uh, even here in Washington State, you might have one model where you are seeing one provider uh, and you're seeing them from multiple visits. So it could be four or five visits. They're doing a comprehensive evaluation. They're looking at cognitive abilities. They're looking at uh, symptoms of autism. Um, We realized a a while ago, because that was a model at at Seattle Children's, uh, that we didn't need to do that. And we had this great group of interdisciplinary providers at the Autism Center that include speech-language pathologists and psychologists and pediatricians and great nurse practitioners. Mm-hmm. Um, did I say psychologists? I want to forget you anybody. Did, yeah, you did, you did. Um, and, uh, and we have this great opportunity to look at children from different yep. perspectives. And we thought, well, we've got to be able to do this more efficiently. So we developed a, rather than a, making dragging a family to come back four or five times. Exactly. Right. Especially yeah. if you're from Tri Cities or you know, coming yeah. from across the pen- over to, across the water, you know, on the peninsula. So um, so we ended up creating an, a, a model that allows us to use that that great resource of our interdisciplinary uh, team. And uh, so we bring families in um, do uh, this, this team evaluation where I, as a speech-language pathologist, we might be doing the direct observational assessment, working with the child. Uh, my partner, who happens to be a psychologist, she would be doing the in-depth interview. Mm-hmm. We get to talk. We get to identify what are these obstacles to learning that might be getting in the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the recommendations for this family? In the most important thing is really to be able to, to determine, does this diagnosis seem appropriate mm-hmm. for this particular child? Um, we meet, then we have a feedback that day. Yeah. So we're getting it done from, you know, in the mo- starting in the morning, and we'll be done you know, a little afternoon. And then what we do is, is at the Autism Center, we're really um, dedicated to not providing the diagnosis and then giving them a report and sending them out, right? So we have uh, parent education classes uh, called the First Steps Program. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a six-hour class that we hope every parent can participate in. And uh, we use uh, teleconferencing so families can watch from home Mm -hmm. and participate in in that class at home. Uh, And then we have uh, this wonderful team of nurse practitioners at the center who uh, provide continuing care uh, Mm -hmm. specific to uh, 
of families in their child with autism. So ultimately, as you describe it, when you come or when you're looking for a center for an evaluation, there are centers that are now using the same model. You've published research on mm-hmm. how you do this, which is instead of going over a series of multiple weeks or stretching over months even to look um, to determine a diagnosis, having families come and they're meeting with multiple providers, at least two it sounds like, mm-hmm. or more, throughout a day where you communicate about the child, examine the child, do a deep history with the family. And by the end of the day, nine out of 10 times a family leaves with a diagnosis to help understand what to do next. Yes, yeah, so a diagnosis of something. We Our, our yeah. diagnostic rate is about 70% yeah. uh, of children getting the diagnosis of With autism. autism. Yeah. Which and means parents who worry about this are often right. Yes, You know, I, I mean, of anything to just endorse here, I think when families worry and they get kind of blown off, I, I can get really frustrated absolutely. for them. And I think we see on the blog traffic, a lot of parents reading our autism blog mm-hmm. post looking for support, having felt that someone didn't really trust their intuition. And I think, you know, it sounds like seven out of 10 times that a family or a, and a pediatrician's concerned that a child has autism, they receive that diagnosis. What are some of the other diagnoses that children receive when they're they're not receiving that diagnosis? That's a great question. So for older children, a lot of times we're thinking, well, could this be ADHD? Could it be an anxiety disorder? Um, For younger kids, uh, it could just be a developmental language delay. Mm -hmm. Um, I think those are the most common ones that we see. Yeah. Yeah. What are the requirements that you have pediatricians and parents do before they even come to the center? So what what can families kind of get ready and get done before they go and see a specialist? Great question. So the, the best thing we can do is have as much information up front as yeah. possible. So if yeah. you've been through a school evaluation and you have that report, if you can we'll request it and, and ha- bring that with you or having it uh, sent ahead of time mm-hmm. is great. Any uh, If you are already, already in therapy, um, any notes or reports from your therapist that you've been working with. And a lot of times when we see older kids, you know, our population is not under five. Right. Uh, lots of times we have kids who are coming in who are, who are much older than that, six, yeah. seven, eight, all the way into the teenage years. Uh, and some of these kids have multiple, multiple. diagnoses yes. of other things, have been in therapy, but it, that still hasn't captured the kind of essence of what's going on with mm-hmm. them. And a lot of times we end up seeing those families um, and just hopefully getting them on the right path to be able to get help and support their kids. Do you feel like um, in the Seattle and elsewhere, I mean, are there enough places for therapy? Is is finding a spot for therapy a challenge? Because I felt it with patients for me over the decade plus that I, I saw them getting into ABA therapy, even once the diagnosis oh, yeah. was made, was very hard and expensive. It's really hard. Um, you know, the good news about ABA is that over the last couple of years, uh, at least in Washington state, insurance has begin, begun to cover it. Thank um, so that was a huge change in our community because prior to that, you know, only this small percentage of, of families fans. would be yeah. able to <laughs> access that type of therapy. Um, so luckily, we have some great advocates in our community who have yeah. gone and, and, and made that amazing change. Um, so but that said, we still don't have enough. Yeah. Uh, even in even in the Seattle area, where you feel like we've got a ton of 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 great expertise and providers, uh, there are every family runs into to uh, wait lists, um, and as soon as you go outside of of King County or out in more rural areas, sometimes these providers simply don't exist, and, yeah. and families have to think differently about what. Um, 
how they're going to be able to, to provide that type so of So number one reminder on that, as painful as it can sound, getting on a wait list as soon as possible. Yep. So again, even before a diagnosis has been formally met, getting on wait lists here and there can sometimes be possible. So yep. if you've got a strong intuition that your child will end up with a diagnosis and you're on a wait list for a diagnostic evaluation, it might be worth your while to get on the wait list for a therapeutic in- intervention yep. even before so if that's possible. And I would say be persistent. Yeah. Uh, you know, some, you know, call. What I often tell families is, all right, set a, set a little reminder in your phone yeah. to call on the first of the month. Uh-huh. Um, you know, some of our families, especially families who are, who are coming from different cultures, yeah. uh, think that they make the call and then they just, wait. They just wait. And yeah. it could be a year. And, yeah. and that's just not how our system works here. I agree. A squeaky wheel is the right I wheel agreed. in healthcare. I Absolutely. mean, there's no question, right? The, the system is broken in all sorts of ways. Yep. Um, and I think, you know, you are are your child's best advocate by continuing to follow your intuition um, and for continuing to seek what you really feel your child needs. So I think bottom line, just in summary, um, Jim, I think I'd say, you know, without question, trust your intuition. Seven out of 10 times when children are, you know, referred to the Autism Center at Seattle Children's, at least an autism diagnosis is met. Um, But in the near term, if you're stuck on wait list or you're concerned, ensuring that you get a child support for any deficit that you see, Mm -hmm. if that's expressive language, or understanding or communication or it's tantrums or it's disruption from sleep or eating. Get an evaluation for that and be proactive about doing that. Um, You know, getting a referral to an autism center that can include different combinations of referring uh, of providers. So it could be pediatricians or even subspecialized pediatricians that are called neurodevelopmentalists, speech Mm -hmm. pathologists, occupational therapists, psychologists in general, that many people are getting trained to support children and families who have these concerns. And you might have a combination. That trained combination is ideal. So don't. I don't think you have to wait for quote a pediatrician. Correct, Jim. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. Absolutely. And I think I would, in some ways, say anyone who's been trained how to make this diagnosis in partnership with a center, I would refer to in a heartbeat more than I'd say you need to wait for a quote pediatrician without yeah, question. Yeah. And one of the things that we really want to communicate out to the community is that we, as the autism center, are really here to support uh, providers who yeah. are interested cool. in learning more about autism. Yeah. You know, we're going. On doing trainings, but we've had lots of great providers come and just spend some time with us. And, you know, really, I think the the way to learn more about autism is to see as many different patients yeah. and children with autism, because that allows you to really understand this wide spectrum um, and all the different kind of situations, you know, and presentations, presentations that you thank yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Um, that we might, that might uh, occur. Okay. What did I forget? Anything? I think we're good. I think that, you know, if, if, if there could be a message, just be persistent. And, yeah. you know, and if somebody says, well, you know, your doctor tells you, well, I don't think this is what's going on, you know, you boys continue talk to think so, late or right. something like that. Um, you know, if you feel it in your heart that there's something that is uh, going, you know, amiss, yes. then uh, go find someone else to, to help you. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> so we have lots of resources. There's also an autism blog at Seattle Children's that you can read all sorts of content about um, diagnosis, but also interventions. And I'll just end with one of the most um, successful Seattle Mama Doc uh, blog posts I've written was really a, a blog post called Reassuring Developmental Milestone for Infants and Children. And just I'll read through. And Jim, if you disagree with anything, please pipe in. Okay. But I, you know, a couple of things to just leave you with. These are signs of, of um, development that can make you feel reassured. Now, this is not to tell you to not be persistent, but things that might reassure you if you're worried or wondering or teetering between worry. So if your child does respond to their name between 9 and 12 months of age, that's 
a great sign. If they're smiling by two months, laughing and giggling around four to five months, and expressing joy to your humor around six months, that's a great sign for their development and understanding. If they play and think peekaboo is funny at nine months of age, that's a great sign. If they make eye contact during infancy, that's a great sign. So if they don't, I really want you to talk to your pediatrician about both their eye health, but also their development. If they try to say words between 12 and 18 months, now they may not be successful, but if they're trying to express words to you, that's a great sign. If by the time your toddler is 18 months, so a year and a half, if they can say five words, that can be really reassuring. If they copy gestures, so if they pretend to talk on a cell phone like you do after nine or 12 months of age, or if they point or they clap or they wave back at you, that's a great sign of communication development. If they imitate you in any way, stirring a bowl or again, like, you know, pretending that cell phone, that's the one I think they do the most Mm -hmm. because all we do is sit on our silly cell phones. (laughs) If they shake their head, no. So if they're communicating with you using nonverbal communication words, that's great. If they're waving at you by 15 months of age and if they point to show you something, they call out for you to look at something they're enjoying or scared of. That's another good and reassuring sign. Yeah. That would be this idea of engagement. You know, how easy is it to feel uh-huh. engaged? And there is this very yeah. qualitative feeling, right? Yeah, but we but have those feelings. We know. Absolutely. You know. And, yeah. And if it's hard, yep. right, that's when you absolutely. do want to follow that. Like if you're yep. a child, it's hard to get them excited or enjoy you or connect with you or yeah. look at you or play with you. That's something yep. that you want like to listen to. like to do their own thing and it's yeah. just kind of tough to get them to look at you and to play with yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming. We'll put lots of links on Seattle Mama Doc and we'll put this blog post on both probably the autism blog and also on Seattle Mama Doc because the reality is parenting is a high stakes job. But the good news is you've got this. Thanks for listening. The Seattle Mama Doc podcast episodes air every single week. I'm always interested in hearing what you have to say, what was helpful, and what you want to learn more about. Reach out to me on Twitter at Seattle Mama Doc, on my Facebook, Seattle Mama Doc, or at seattlemamadoc.com. Tell me what you want to learn. Tell me if you want to join me and point me to experts you'd love to learn more from. 